If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Domingo Santana, ooh, I wanna add ya. Tanagas, Fakata, Jag, like Michael Waka, Polanco. Friday and welcome into Fantasy Baseball today, presented by Line and Kugels. More on their great variety of beer later on in the podcast. Frank Stanfield joined by Scott White. And remember how last Friday it was angry Scott who wanted to rant. Will Craig had a stupid play on that Thursday. We had to talk about it. Scott had to get it all off of his chest. That's gonna be dead. That's gonna be me today, Scott. Ooh, angry Frank. I'm not sure I've ever seen Frank angry before. Oh, you won't like me when I'm angry. The reason why? This uh, this little sticky situation that we've got going on that John Heyman and Ken Rosenthal have been tweeting about. Should you trade Christian Yelich? We'll talk about that as well. The drop meter some hot hitters, week 11 sleepers, two-star pitchers, your Apple Podcast review questions and fantasy justice. Scott, I jam-packed this rundown to the absolute brim and good I, thing Chris isn't here. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. I was gonna, he was going to be here, but he was having an internet connectivity issues. So it's it's been a whole week of either one or the other of us, which means which means Frankie gets a chance to shine a little more, a little more input from Frank in these shows, and uh, and we'll get to see him be angry. So this will be fun. All right, so let's do this. Oh my good goodness gracious! Where would you like to start, Scott? We'll. Uh... Start at the top, some, oh my goodness gracious, standouts from Thursday. Who do you have? I um, didn't pick it out before. <laughs> um, how about how about Charlie Blackman? That's a random place to start, right? Let's do it. Charlie Blackman. He had a good game. Rockies were home. In Coors Field, he had three hits. He had his fourth home run. He had his 11th double. And that brought his batting average up to 262. His OPS is still south of 800. Doesn't doesn't seem great for Charlie Blackman. Obviously, guy in his mid 30s. You worry if it's the end for Charlie Blackman. But actually, 
even prior to this game, looking at the StatCast numbers for, for Blackman, he has his highest expected batted, batting average ever since StatCast started. Highest ever. His ex-slug, so if you're just talking about measuring the power production, you know, it's right in line with his career norms in terms of how hard he's hitting the ball, average launch angle. You know, it's all pretty similar. It, it all looks basically like what you'd expect from Charlie Blackman in a given year. Strikeout rate is actually the best it's ever been. That's part of the reason why he has such an ex- high XBA, I'm sure. But but I don't really see anything that raises an alarm for me or raises a red flag other than the fact he's 34 years old and, you know, was kind of meh last year too. I think, might be, uh, I think he might be a pretty good buy-low candidate. I know we've mentioned him as that before, but... I don't know. I, I hadn't taken that close a look at him personally. And uh, this game kind of, this performance tonight kind of led me to do that. And that was my takeaway. So, yeah, Charlie Blackman. There you go. Chuck Nasty. He's not done yet. His last 15 games, he's betting 319 during that stretch. And I'm with you. I, I think he's still a prime buy low candidate. I, I mean, he's not really a buy low based on, you know, what I just said. He's been coming around. It's just, People, A, might not realize that he's been as good as he has over the past two weeks or so, and he's older. So, I mean, typically, you know, people are, oh, who wants to acquire an older bat? It's just, you know, it's not the sexy thing to do, I guess. But uh, for all the reasons you mentioned, the strikeout rate, the best of his career, Charlie Blackman has been a really good hitter for a long time. His 302 expected batting average is the highest in the StatCast era. So he is doing something right, and better days are coming. I'd say the only downside for him is the Rockies lineup is is pretty bad. I I think we could say that confidently, especially while Trevor Story is out. Obviously, no more Nolan Arenado. So the counting stats, not going to be where they have been the past couple of years for Blackman. But I'm with you 100%, Scott. I am in favor of trying to acquire Charlie Blackman. My oh my goodness gracious player of the day. Let's just call it a situation. You know what? Actually, no, no, no. Not going to talk about Garrett Cole yet. Well, let's talk about the pitcher on the other side because that actually deserves talking about here at the top. Ryan Yarbrough, who pitched a complete game against the New York Yankees. It was the first complete game for a race starting pitcher since May of 2016. That is is wild. It's wild, but this is this <laughs> is what a they long time ago. This is what they do. This is what the Rays do. They 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 don't push their starting pitchers very deep. Tyler Glass now has been the exception of that this year. Not that he's thrown complete games or anything. He's been very good. But uh, let's get back to Ryan Yarbrough. He led six hits, two earned runs, zero walks, nine strikeouts, 11 swinging strikes on 113 pitches. So obviously not a great uh, swinging strike conversion ratio there. You can stream your pitchers against the Yankees this season. They are averaging 3.77 runs per game, which is 26th in all of baseball. Until they figure it out, which I don't know if they're going to figure it out, you can stream your pitchers against the Yankees. I'm here to tell you that, Scott. What did you see from Ryan Yarbrough in this? Even with this start, I still think he's pretty fringy overall. 3.95 ERA, 1.14 whip. He is 39% rostered, so he's widely available. What do you think about him? I think he's pretty much the same as he's always been. You know, the, the whip's pretty low. The ERA, higher than ideal. Not a great strikeout guy. Usable at times with the right matchups, especially... Um, I, th- I think he has RP eligibility. Does he not have RP eligibility this year? I don't think he does. Yeah, this might be the year he doesn't. So, yeah, that, that kind of hurts the, the the usability. But what you have to keep in mind, you know, as nice as it was to see him go nine innings in this start, Yarbrough 
three of his previous four starts, he didn't even go five innings. So it's it's going to be difficult to pinpoint exactly when uh, you're going to get something usable from him. I think that is fair to say. And look, we're not going to expect him to throw as many pitches as he did in this start or, or go as deep as he did in uh, in this game against the Yankees. I think in the right matchups is fine. If anything deeper than a 12-team league, I think he's worth rostering. But yeah, and 12 teams are shallower? Probably not on Ryan Yarbrough. It was a great start for him. I will point out he threw a season-high 41 change-up, change-ups, which obviously was uh, very useful for him in this start. On the other side, Garrett Cole. Didn't have a good start. That's fine. Five innings, five hits, five earned runs, two walks, seven strikeouts. But baseball Twitter was ablaze because the spin rates, Scott, were way down for Garrett Cole in this start. And it's definitely curious that it happened on the same day that multiple MLB insiders, John Heyman, Ken Rosenthal, they all came out and they're talking about this exact thing. This was a tweet from John Heyman. Evidence was presented at the MLB owners' meetings to suggest that the use of illegal foreign substances by pitchers trying to enhance spin rates and get an edge is very prevalent in the game. So the crackdown will now commence in earnest. That tweet came out on Thursday morning, and then it just so happened that Garrett Cole's spin rates were down. Now, the reason this angered me so much, Scott, is because people were actually tweeting at me, and I don't know if they were genuine or not, or just people being trolls, but they're saying, like, Garrett Cole's done. Is it, he's going to go back to being the pitcher he was back in Pittsburgh. This is the Pirates Garrett Cole. He's back now that he doesn't have foreign substances. And I think that that is uh, a very wacky take to have on this entire situation. I saw another tweet. This was from Max Goldstein, uh, which pointed out Garrett Cole's four-seam fastball had an average spin rate of 2436 RPM on Thursday. The last outing during which his fastball, his average fastball spin rate was lower than that was September 21st of 2018. So it has been a very long time. Do you see anything here? Are you worried about pitchers in general taking a step back? And pitchers, you know, most notably like Eric Cole, who have very high spin rates, Trevor Bauer, who has a very high spin rate, maybe taking a step back as a result of these tweets from John Heyman and Ken Rosenthal. Yes, I am. I, I think it's an overreaction to say that's what we saw from this start with Cole today on Thursday night. In fact, you know, it wasn't such a bad start that I was even really looking there. It's just like, okay, who's a little off tonight, whatever. The average exit velocity against Garrett Cole was 83.2 miles per hour. Exactly. Which is obviously very good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he had 15 whiffs, 15 swinging strikes. So, you know, it, it didn't seem like a big deal to me. But it is notable that the spin rate would happen to be down on that fastball by a significant, a lot of RPM, over 100 RPM. The, fast, the, the, the spin rate on the fastball was down in this game. And uh, I, I will point out that 2018, the last time it was that low, he, he was still, he was already with the Astros at that point, and it was t- toward the end of that really good season with the Astros, really good first season with the Astros. So, I, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think he's going to be suddenly become an average pitcher, but I don't really know... What's going to happen with this? I, I, you know, it, it does seem to be a thing. They are going to start cracking down on it. it John Heyman's tweet wasn't the first I saw about that. Like it's, uh, I think Bob Nightingale, he had an article with 
interviewing Theo Epstein, basically, who is has a lot of ideas for what's to come for baseball. A lot of changes, but this was going to be the most immediate one. The idea is to restore some balance in the game to make it so pitchers aren't so advantaged and hitters don't have to sell out so hard for the long ball. I think the short-term effect, though, maybe that'll be the long-term effect. I don't know. But I think the short-term effect is hitters aren't going to change their approach. And so just offense is going to go up in general. But to apply it to specific pitchers, I don't know. I'm hesitant to do that. I'm the sort of person who kinds of wants to kind of wants to see the information before I start changing my approach based on it, you know, which I understand if I can, if I can come to the correct conclusion beforehand, I'll be advantaged in that way. But I, I just don't have enough faith in myself to do that, you know? So if it becomes a trend with the spin rate down being this far down for Cole, then, you know, maybe we'll have to, maybe we'll have to look into that more, but I, I think it's premature to do that. Yeah, and I agree with you. I, I think that's the right way to handle this situation, Scott, because as much as we study these things day in and day out, we we really don't know, A, if spin rates are going to remain down for just Garrett Cole. For all starting pitchers, it's something that we're going to have to follow. I'm very interested to see not just Trevor Bauer, but anyone else who has a high spin rate in baseball. What does their spin rate look like over the next couple of starts following you know more of these tweets coming out from John Heyman and, and Ken Rosenthal. And we don't even know what the repercussions are going to be. They haven't talked about like if they're going to be handing out suspensions or, or, or what it might be. So we're just speculating at this point. But I think, look, for people to come out and say like, Garrett Cole is done, like now that he doesn't have foreign substances, his spin rate, this like 2436 RPM, was still way higher than what his spin rate was back in Pittsburgh. It was like 2,100 on his fastball back in Pittsburgh. So yeah. I'm like, it, it could affect him, but not to the level where like he's not an ace still. Like, I'm not this, worried I about. I mean, this is this is the Twitter playbook. I mean, you're you're communicating with people on Twitter. It's I know. I, I got to stop, take, Scott. Take, I was, take an idea to its furthest extreme, and <laughs> and that's that's the new reality. Which you know is. is a, a problem, a problem in many ways, not just in baseball, but we don't have to get into all that. Uh, look, if you have any tips, Scott, I think I, maybe I just shut off my notifications, but I can't do that because I like to answer questions <laughs> and help people out. But no, I don't. I don't uh, have any tips. I was going to I wanted to put easy, my head through my computer, Scott. I was I was so it, angry. It's easy when I. it's a thing that I'm not getting worked up about to, you know, kind of rise above it and say, well, obviously, you just have to understand the audience you're working with, but you know, I have, I have my moments of, of rage and, you know, I, actually, I think that that jaw issue I was having a few weeks back, I, you know, was it something I was doing in my sleep or whatever? And I think it was just cause, you know, I get this kind of like, oh, <laughs> clenched, you know, clenched teeth expression when I'm just kind of like letting the anger pass through me. And I think maybe I was doing that too much. So, yeah. I mean, the only solution is to just, to just sign off and you'll feel better about it tomorrow. Yeah, I think you're right. Before we hit the news and notes, we know summer is starting, so you might not have as much time on your hands. Of course, we would love for you to listen to our full-length podcast here, but if you're short on time, remember, 
that you can always catch our five-minute podcast, Fantasy Baseball Today in Five, which is also released Monday through Friday. We usually hit on the biggest performers of the night or day, waiver wire ads, bullpen updates, and much more. You can download and follow FBT in Five wherever you find this podcast. News and notes from Thursday. Madison Bumgarner was placed on the IL with left shoulder inflammation. Andrew Vaughn went to the COVID IL. GM Rick Hahn had this to say. He is currently asymptomatic, and our hope is that, uh, similar to our other IL placements of this nature, he will return shortly to the active roster. Set my attention here a little bit, Scott, on Jake Lamb, who is set for more playing time. Deeper leagues, obviously AL only. He hit his fourth home run on Thursday. He's betting 265 with a 931 OPS. It's a small sample size. He's 1% rostered. Plays six games next week. Four of those are against lefties. So that's not great, but deeper leagues. AL only, Jake Lamb. He's going to play more. Fernando Tatis returns to the lineup for the Padres. He was dealing with oblique discomfort. He has already, at the time of recording this, added two more hits and his 17th home run of the season. So... I think he's fine. Corey Seager will travel with the Dodgers on their upcoming six-game road trip. He's still at least two weeks away with that broken hand. Kevin Gosman confirmed he'll start on Saturday against the Cubs. He was dealing with a minor hip injury. Mariners GM Jerry DePoto said that he fears Kyle Lewis could be in line for a long-term absence following his torn right meniscus. DePoto added they're hopeful he can return later this season, so... Sounds like it's going to be a couple of months here for Kyle Lewis. Mike Yastrzemski was placed on the IL with a sprained right thumb. Logan Webb was placed on the IL with a right shoulder strain. Brian Hayes made his long-awaited yeah. return. Yeah, let's go. On Thursday, Brian. he finished... Boom. He finished Sorry, two for I keep four. Interrupting. You. Nah, you're go good. ahead, Frank. <laughs> he finished two for four with a triple and a run scored. His first hit was actually an infield single that he beat out, so uh, nice to see some of the... The speed here, again, from Brian Hayes. Eliezer Hernandez was also making his return, and he pitched very well. Five innings, one run, six strikeouts, but he left with a quad strain while running the bases. Manager Don Mattingly said he believes this will be a long-term injury for Eliezer Hernandez. Just a really tough break. His first start back, he looked pretty good. So uh, back to the IL in all likelihood for... Hernandez. Colton Wong left Thursday's game with a with left oblique discomfort. This is the same oblique that gave him some trouble earlier in the season. Kendall Graveman is out of quarantine and has rejoined the Mariners in Seattle. He may require a few uh, rehab or simulated games. Tommy Pham had a CT scan come back clean after his collision with Ha Seung Kim. Pham remained out of the lineup on Thursday. Jorge Soler returned to the lineup for the Royals. Edward Olivares was optioned back to AAA. Corey Kluber, what can go wrong here, is expected to begin a throwing program soon, though his overall return timeline has not changed. This just has Yankees written all over it, which is hilarious, but not really. Some prospect updates, Scott. I saw that you wrote a recent uh, prospect report on Thursday. If anyone wants to check it out, it's on the site right now, cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball, where you pointed out that Drew Waters is coming around for the Atlanta Braves, one of their top prospects in the system. He's an outfielder. Uh, over his last games, he's been playing much better, but might not be ready yet. What are you seeing with Drew Waters? Yeah, uh, he has been playing much better, and the strikeout rate has been down. It's been respectable, really, during the, the during the stretch um, where he's shown improvement. Basically, across the board, power's been up, but it's only been a couple weeks of that. And actually his season long numbers in terms of the batting average and the OPS 
are are lower than they were in 2019, which he split between double and triple A. So, you know, he's been a prospect who's been, it's been more about the projection than the production so far. He did hit for a high average in 2019, but with a very high BABIP. And he does profile as a high BABIP bat, but it was like a 435 BABIP that he had in 2019. So, you know, obviously he, he, he either needs to cut down on the strikeouts, he needs to improve the power, probably both, to become a major leaguer. And he's showing signs of, of doing that. Uh, but I, I just think it's, it's too early to say, okay, he's, he's good now and um, we're going we're gonna to throw him out there in the majors and potentially unravel a lot of the progress he was making. So I, I feel hopeful that he'll be an option for the Braves later this year. I just I don't think we're to the point yet where you need to be stashing him in a typical redraft league. Some prospects that you can be stashing, five that are on the verge Wander Franco, who we talk about quite a bit, he had another big game on Wednesday. He went three for five with a home run and a stolen base. That is a sock and a shoe. Vidal Brujan remains awesome at AAA. He's running. He's hitting home runs. Joe Adele, he had a stretch, I think it was two weeks ago now, where he was hitting a bunch of home runs, and now he has gone back to striking out a bunch. And then the other two names that you mentioned, Scott, Jesus Sanchez and Jackson Cower. Cower? Cower? I've been saying Kawar, but I'm yeah. not sure I've actually heard it said before. Yeah, professional broadcaster. I, I should have looked that up. That, that's on me. <laughs> that's on me. I, I do want to talk a little bit more about Jesus Sanchez and uh, Kawar here, Scott. Should you be stashing those already at this point? And if so, in what leagues? What depth? What format? I, I would say 15 teamers. Uh, Sanchez, Jesus Sanchez of the Marlins, who we did see last year and he, he didn't do well. Uh, in the majors, but he is—he has been probably the most impressive hitter in all the minors so far this year. The the power projection that had long been there for him, he's finally making good on it, and he just his batting average just finally dropped below 400. So he's he's been awesome. Uh, Marlins obviously need help. So Jesus Sanchez in like a five outfielder roto league, even a 12 teamer, I can see stashing him away there. I've I've tried to do it, and just haven't been able to find a spot for him yet. Kawar, yeah, I think I think the Royals might turn to him next. He has a sub one ERA at Triple A. He's twenty four years old already, and um, it, it, it was part of that impressive first round haul a couple of years ago, where they they got Singer and they got Daniel Lynch and they got Chris Bubich and Kawar. Um, at least initially, looked like the best bat misser of the bunch. So. Maybe he's not on the 40 man roster yet. Maybe they go back to Lynch the next time there's an opening. Maybe Danny Duffy will be recovered by the time a new an, an opening develops again. So it 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 may not happen, but how long can Kawar as a 24 year old sustain an ERA below one and get passed over, particularly in an organization that's been pretty aggressive with its promotions? I I don't think it's going to be long. And I just listen to a video while you're talking, Scott. It is indeed Kawar, at least the video that I pulled up here. So uh, that is how you pronounce his name, and I agree. Uh, he just got, I think it was like AAA Honors Pitcher of the Month. And uh, Yeah, so the, people may not be aware of this. It's, it's, not, it's not comfortable to say yet, but the International League and the Pacific Coast League are no more. It's now AAA East and AAA West. And actually, Player of the Month for May... Triple A East was Jesus Sanchez. Triple A West was Jackson Kawar. 
Well, there you go. Definitely a name that should be on your radar at this point. Five that you point out, Scott, that are on the periphery. Not that we need to spend any time on these because I do want to get to our Week 11 sleepers. Bobby Witt, of course, uh, he's in double-A with the Kansas City Royals right now. Cal Raleigh, the catcher for the Mariners. Brandon Williamson, starting pitcher for the Mariners. Greg Jones, a shortstop in the Tampa Bay Rays organization. And Mitchell Parker, a starting pitcher for the Nationals. You can read about those again on the website, cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball. Which brings us to the Week 11 Pitcher and Hitter Planners presented by Line and Kugels. How does the scheduling look for next week? Well, we have nine teams with five games. It's it's really a light week in terms of scheduling. Yeah, it is. I think I saw on Monday there's only three games on the schedule. So There is, and one's a makeup game, too. So initially there was only going to be two. We but are yeah. going to have to three get now. creative on, on Monday night for, for Tuesday's podcast. But nine teams <laughs> have five games. 18 teams have six games. And there are three teams with seven games. That includes the Boston Red Sox, the Kansas City Royals, and the Miami Marlins. Some hitters you might want to look at for volume, Andrew Benintendi, Hunter Dozier, and Hunter Renfro. And maybe Kike Hernandez in a deeper league. Not that he's been great or anything. Scott, let's take a look at some two-start pitchers for Week 11. Who are you interested in? Well, I will point out, First off, that my two-star pitcher rankings right now, only 22 pitchers in them because of all those five-game weeks. It might end up being more than 22. There's going to need to be a replacement for Eliezer Hernandez, who initially lined up for two. Uh, it's possible that some of those teams playing five games, they'll reduce their rotation down to four-man for this upcoming week, and, and we may see more two-star pitchers because of that. But from what I know right now, I can only come up with 22 names for my two-star pitcher rankings, which is, you know, sometimes it's twice that many. So that's not many to go on. But probably the most interesting name that that could potentially be available in your league is actually Tony Gonsolin of the Dodgers, who is set to return next week. It's missed all year with a shoulder injury. He's been on a rehab assignment. We, of course, know how good he he can be, and and now there's no question he's going to have a rotation spot to call his own. So the excitement level should be higher now than possibly ever before, and yet he remains available in a third of CBS Sports League's matchups at Pittsburgh versus Texas. If he does return on Tuesday, uh, you know, it's possible he doesn't. We don't know exactly what day he's returning, but he's supposed to return at some point next week. Tuesday makes sense. I'm hopefully makes two starts. And if he makes two starts with those matchups, you know, normally I'd play it safe first start back from injury, but I, I don't, I, I think you pretty much have to start him if he is lined up for two. Adbert Alzali, I don't know how many times I've talked about him as a two start sleeper. Obviously, he hasn't actually made two starts that many times. He's gotten pushed back a few times. Uh, that that's happening more than ever this year. Is it's just so difficult to project a week ahead how how rotations are going to line up. Teams like to insert six starters to to space out innings and whatnot. But Adbert Alzali, you know, obviously he's been good. Matchups aren't great, but whatever. Matthew Boyd. And getting getting dicier here, you know, I don't like Matthew Boyd in a general sense, and he's been regressing lately, but versus Seattle is the first start he's lined up for, also against the White Sox. I mean, Seattle, he might throw a no-hitter. Adrian Hauser, 
I think is going to make two starts for the Brewers. Now he came in in relief in his last appearance, so it kind of messed up their whole rotation. But I think it's going to be Hauser, and one of his two matchups is against the Pirates. They're probably more of a points league play, but he's only 18% rostered. Uh, and then if you have to go deeper than that, Chris Bubich, he's he's more rostered than than Hauser actually. But the matchups are worse, and he showed some regression in his Thursday night start as well. He entered that start with a 152 ERA, so clearly he had some. He he, he had to drop a bit, and he did. But if you're just looking for volume in a points league, I think Bubich is usable. You know it's a light week when Scott is suggesting Matthew Boyd. I'll just I'll leave it at that. Who we've talked yeah. about quite a bit all season long, Scott. Who are some single start pitchers that you are looking at with good matchups for next week? So Spencer Turnbull. Um, Want to move on from him, but I can't. He goes against Seattle, so he might throw a no-hitter. Marco Gonzalez at Detroit. He just came back from the IL and looked pretty good in his first start. It was a short one, but you know his MO is pitching deep into games. Casey Mize against Seattle. Uh, he just refuses to slow down. And if I can get into his analysis from Thursday, since I'm bringing him up, Seven innings, three earned runs, six strikeouts in seven innings. His strikeout rate hasn't been good, but he did have seven, 17 swinging strikes in this one, including seven on his slider, which I noticed was much slower than usual, like three miles per hour slower than usual, and he got a ton of whiffs with it. So maybe he, maybe he changed something with his slider. I don't know. I'll have to, have to see what comes out after the game. But it was it was interesting that you lose that much velocity on a breaking ball and it gets more effective. It it may have been by design. Three earned runs are fewer in seven straight starts now for Casey Mize. And of course, since he's going against the Mariners, he might throw a no header. <laughs> Austin Gomber is lined up for one start at Miami. So good matchup, good venue. And uh, he was almost my oh my goodness gracious player for Thursday night because he had a season high 18 swinging strikes in his start. It was, it was in course field, 18 whiffs, nine on the changeup, but at least two on all four of his pitches. And now in his past seven starts, Austin Gomber has a 268 ERA, a 0.89 whip and 9.6 K per nine. So again, no walks again, that that's been a key to his improvement lately. No walks in this start. He, he's looking pretty useful still and has a good matchup this upcoming week. Yeah, we'll have more on Austin Gomber a little bit later on. I'm facing him off against Martin Perez, who has also been very good over his last seven starts. So we'll talk about that. Scott, who are some sleeper hitters that you like that are rostered in less than 70% of CBS leagues? So it was a, it was a stretch coming up with 10 hitters this week, even though they're it was a stretch to find a lot of, well, I don't know. Not many games happening, but um, not not great hitter choices either. Avisal Garcia is probably my favorite. He homered here Thursday. He had a great May. His expected stats look good, and the Brewers have good matchups. So he's my favorite. Andrew Benintendi's been on a nice run. I think you mentioned both of these guys already at the top. Hunter Renfro, he's been hot. Uh, and and the Red Sox are one of just three teams playing seven games, I think you said. Yeah. So uh, Hunter Renfro, you know, when he gets hot, he get, he can do a lot of damage. When he's not hot, he not so much. 
AJ Pollock's back from the IL and he should play close to every day. The Dodgers are another one of those teams. No, actually they're playing six games, but they do have the most favorable hitter matchups. So I think Pollock is someone you could put in your lineup if you need to. Uh, those are probably my favorites. I mean, I have Paven Smith in here just because he's been hot and he's widely available, but only five games for the Diamondbacks. Garrett Cooper. You know, the Marlins are another team playing seven games. I don't expect him to actually start all seven, but he's been pretty hot lately. Yeah, I don't know. Hard to get excited about this group. Scott referenced a few of these teams already, but the five teams with the best hitter matchups, the Dodgers, the Angels, the Brewers, the Marlins, and the Royals. The five teams with the worst hitter matchups include the Rangers, the Pirates, the Braves, the Twins, and the Orioles. So there you have it. The Week 11 Pitcher and Hitter Planners presented by Line and Kugels. And I'm super excited for this pitching matchup this weekend between Jacob deGrom and Joe Musgrove. It's going down this Saturday night. I've got it all planned. I'm going to plop down on my couch, relax, watch that pitching masterpiece with an ice-cold Line and Kugels Session Hellas in my hand, which has all the flavor of a crisp German-style beer, and it's only 99 calories. I actually found it at my local beer distributor. I am pumped. And if you're in the mood for some lemonade this weekend, may I offer you a Lining Kugel's Summer Shandy? It's this awesome blend of crisp beer with refreshing lemonade. And if you're into IPAs, Lining Kugel's offers their Lemon Haze IPA, which is a well-balanced hazy IPA that blends hops with their delicious lemonade. Just head on over to Liney.com. That's L-E-I-N-I-E.com or follow Line and Kugels on Instagram or Facebook for more information about all of the delicious beers that they brew. We're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we've got to talk about Christian Yelich because he hit a home run. Should you trade him? Talk about it next. Fantasy Baseball Today. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Christian Yelich went one for three with his second home run of the season. It's only June 3rd. You're listening to this on June 4th. Two home runs for Christian Yelich. Since he has returned, he is batting at 171 with a 35% strikeout rate. And we spoke about this recently, Scott, but I have Yelich in just one league. It's my home keeper league, head-to-head points league. My outfield is not great. Part of the reason is because Yelich has been either hurt or struggling for most of the season. And I just, I have this feeling that I want to try and turn him into something while I can. I put out a poll before we started the show and I asked people, if you have him on your team, do you try and flip him after Thursday night's home run? 45% said that they would try to trade Yelich right now. 54% say that, 54.6% say that they would hold Christian Yelich. So it's it's pretty close there. If you have him on your team, Scott, what would you be looking to do with him? I would probably be looking to see what I could get. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know that one isolated home run is going to 
really move the needle. And so maybe that's what the 55% were thinking. I, I thought it was going to be more lopsided than that, actually. Me but, too. But, you know, if, if it was, if like 80% saying, yeah, I'm going to try and shop them, then that would also kind of tell you it's not going to work, <laughs> you know, to shop them. Yeah, you're right. So it, it seems like there are more believers out there than not, or, or maybe they're not believers. They're, they're just skeptical like me that they could really get much for them at this point, which is fine. Yeah. If, if you can't hold them, there's not really any harm in that. But yeah, I, I am at the point with Christian Yelich, and we talked about this, I think, a couple weeks ago, where I just, I don't feel like I can count on him the rest of this season. I like him more in a dynasty context. I would be willing to buy low in the dynasty league. But for this season, I just, I don't know what to expect, but I'm less than optimistic. Yeah, and I don't want to speak in all doom and gloom because maybe he gets healthier as the season goes along and, and you know, the strikeout rate cuts and he comes closer to looking like Yelich. I don't know that we're going to get, you know, MVP form Yelich this season ever again for that matter. But in, you know, in, in that same token, I, I feel like we can, at any point, he could just go down with an injury and, and just be done for the season. So I don't think it's like that, you know, black and white, but... If you were trying to shop him, Scott, what is a reasonable expectation? So you moved him down to your 15th ranked outfielder. I have met number 12. If you can turn him into either Marte, is that something that you would do? Is that realistic? I don't I don't know. A Cattell Marte, yes. Yes, I would definitely turn him into Cattell Marte, Starling Marte. Maybe. I don't know if it's realistic, the kind of run Austin Meadows is on, but I'd, I'd probably be okay with that. Would you do it for Jared Walsh? Or is that going too far down the list? You know, it it just depends. Like, if if I'm killing it without much help from Yelich, I'd probably just stick with them. But if I'm, if I'm struggling, you know, at or under 500 and just can't afford to wait around for him, yeah, I think I think Walsh is right on the line there for me. Okay, so you have Walsh at outfielder twenty one, uh, Trey Mancini right behind him. You do that, kind of. Yeah, I think Mancini Walsh they're about the same to me. Okay, and then you know Mitch Haniger's a little bit further down there, but yeah, I, I think it's a good point that you bring up. It, it probably depends like where you're at. If you're desperate, it's I think in my home league I might be five and uh, six and three or something like that. So I, I don't necessarily have to make a move, but. I'm worried. Yeah, I tend to play it a little bit safer. If if you want to shoot for the upside and hold on to Christian Yelich, you can do that too. Just realize there is a lot of injury risk with him right now. Let's fire up the drop-o-meter, Scott. And we've been getting a few questions specifically about this catcher, Yasmani Grandal, who did go one for three with his seventh home run of the season on Thursday. But he is batting just 137. One of the weirdest stat lines all season. He's batting 137 with a 384 on base percentage. He has a near 29% walk rate, which is bananas. And it helps him stay it, it helps him stay rostered in points leagues because at least he's walking as much as he is. And OBP formats, I think you should hold Yasmani Grandal. But say that you play in a one catcher league uh, and one of James McCann, Mike Zanino, uh, William Contreras, all of them are available, one or all. Would you drop Grandal for any of those? Probably not. I, I, I don't know. I, know. I don't know that there's much to gain there. I don't 
feel like the ceiling is so high or the production has been so amazing for any of McCann, Zunino, or Contreras. I I don't think Grandal can sustain a walk rate this high all year. I also don't think he's going to sustain a batting average this low all year. I think there's going to be some correction on both ends. You know, the fact that he's basically on a 20-homer pace suggests to me he hasn't completely lost it as a hitter. And and if he had completely lost it as a hitter, if teams just no longer feared him, there's no way he'd be walking anywhere close to this much, you know? They just thought they could knock the bat out of his hands. So I think Grandal gets better from here, and I'm, I'm thankful that he hasn't been entirely useless because of those walks. Even if you think Yasmani Grandal is a shell of the former player that he used to be, he has a 123 BABIP this season. In his career, that number is 276. I don't care. You can have a 50% ground ball rate if you're Yasmani Grandal. Your BABIP should not be that low. I'm sorry. Big issue for him has been that ground ball rate. It is a... Not career high. It's 46%, which is the highest it's been since 2013. So it's been a long time. Uh, His line drives are down, but I have to imagine some of that is going to reverse course and it's going to help his Babbitt. So it's been rough. I get it with Yasmani Grandal, but I'm with you. I wouldn't drop him for any of those three catchers, though if I was just ranking those three, I do think James McCann is above the rest. He's coming around as... His last, I just had this pulled up, his last 15 games, James McCann is betting 295 with four home runs. So slowly coming around, I would not drop Grandall for any of those. How about Patrick Corbin, Scott? We always talk about him. It feels like every start that he goes out there, we are monitoring it very closely. He was at the Braves on Thursday, five and a third, six hits, four earned runs, only eight swinging strikes on 79 pitches. He now has a 6.43 ERA and a 1.76 whip over his last Four starts. Patrick Corbin, still 85% rostered. What is the dropometer for one Corbin? Probably about an eight at this point. I am I am running out of excuses to make for him. A lot of what I thought was wrong with him coming into the season, what seemed to go wrong for him in 2020, like that a lot of it's improved. But apart from one start against the Phillies in mid-May. The results haven't improved at all. So, yeah, I I don't I don't know. I'm 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 not so sure he's worth protecting anymore. Which is what having him on your roster is all about: protecting him from from letting from landing in the wrong hands. Would you drop him for Tarek Skubal? I think so. I think so too. I'm I'm kind of excited by what Tarek Skubal is doing right now. Would you drop him for Adbert Alzali? Um, this is why you get paid the big bucks, Scott. Got to answer yeah, the tough questions. I, I I think I I think I would do that too. Yeah. How about Tony Gonsolin? Definitely. I I have Gonsolin. I think in my top forty at starting pitcher. It's Ooh. kind of shocking to me that <laughs> he hasn't gotten picked up in more leagues because like this is. Like I said before, I mean, obviously there's a chance coming back from an injury he could suffer a setback, whatever. That's that's always a possibility. But like, I feel like this is the most excited we should ever be. We 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 we've ever needed to be about Tony Gonsolin because like the Dodgers need him more than ever. 
Yeah. The question with him hasn't been effectiveness. It's how would they use him? And we know how they're going to use him this time. So give me all the Tony Gonsolin I can handle. Yep. And that's an endorsement to go out and try and trade for Tony Gonsolin too. If he's already on someone else's team, there's a lot to like there with him. He was very effective in 2020. Obviously it's Tony Gonsolin we're talking about. And that's why I actually feel really good about Julio Arias right now too, Scott, is the fact that they don't really have a choice. They don't want to use David Price as a starting pitcher. Dustin May is out for the season. I think they're just going to let Julio Arias go. I, I don't know that they're going to be able to restrict him just because they don't have that luxury. So uh, I, I do like... Maybe. Maybe. I mean, I mean it's possible. I, it obviously would not be a good thing for him long term. So maybe they'll find a, a way to preserve his innings in the second half. Just to bolster Gonsolin again. Like... That's not a concern for him because he's missed a third of the season already, you know? Like, he's got yeah. so many innings left in the tank. It's another reason to be more excited than ever about Gonsolin. Go and get yourself some Tony Gonsolin. Some hot hitters right now. I'm going to breeze through this a little bit, Scott. If there's anyone that I bring up that you'd like to talk about, just interrupt me and, and do your thing. Salvador Perez had another double dong on Thursday. He now has 14 home runs while batting 284. Jesse Winker went three for five with his 14th home run of the season. He is batting 348 with a 1044 OPS. Jesse Winker now ranked inside our top 20 outfielders for both Scott and myself. Austin Meadows went two for five with another home run, a double, and five RBI. He has five home runs over his last seven games. Man, Austin Meadows, I am so worried about that fly ball rate. Please just keep hitting home runs. Cattell Marte went four for five. He is batting 333 in 15 games since returning from the IL. Brian Reynolds went two for four with his eighth home run of the season. He has four home runs over his last seven games. He's 80% rostered. I know Brian Reynolds is not exciting, but I kind of feel like that number needs to be 100%. I, I think we're at that point with Brian Reynolds. He needs to be universally rostered. Ozzie Albies, three for four with two RBI and his fifth stolen base of the season. Dansby Swanson has now homered in back-to-back days, and he has a 12-game hitting streak. So like to see that from Dansby Swanson. And Brandon Crawford had at least two more hits the last time I checked, but one of those was a home run, his 12th home run of the season. He now has 36 RBI, Brandon Crawford does. That is third among all shortstops in baseball. Some deep waiver wire hitters who... May be available, likely are available in your leagues. Miguel Andujar has three home runs in his last four games. He's only 13% rostered. Nico Goodrum went one for four on Thursday with his 10th steal. He is the seventh player uh, this season who has double-digit steals. Jake Fraley had a sock and a shoe on Thursday. He had a three-run home run off of Griffin Canning. He's only 2% rostered, but figures to play as long as Dylan Moore and Kyle Lewis remain out. And I'll throw Jake Lamb in this mix, who I brought up earlier, Scott. So, again... Deep league hitters, 15-team Roto, maybe some AL. These are, yeah, all AL-only players. How would you rank those four? Andujar, Goodrum, Fraley, Lamb. I would go Andujar, Goodrum, Fraley, Lamb. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I haven't been motivated to pick up any of them yet, but I think Andujar... Definitely worth keeping an eye on because the last time we saw him play extensively, he was basically must start, you know, pretty close to it. He was Gio, Gio uh, Urshela before Gio Urshela, just in terms of 
what he provided offensively. So the Yankees need all the hitters they can find right now. It seems like there's an opening for him. And at least recently here, he's been making good on that opportunity. Yep, Miguel Andujar back in 2018 provided high batting average. I think it was 27 home runs, decent run and RBI numbers there. So if he remains in the lineup, I don't see why he wouldn't. The Yankees obviously need a spark. So uh, we brought up his name a lot recently. I think maybe even in 12-team, five outfielder leagues, if you're just really hurting for an outfielder, I, I wouldn't mind taking a shot there on Miguel Andujar. Some deeper waiver wire starting pitchers. We're going to have a face-off here, Scott, between Martin Perez and the aforementioned Austin Gomber, Martin Perez at the Houston Astros. Great start. Seven and two-thirds shutout. Six hits, one walk, four strikeouts. His last seven starts. Martin Perez has a 1.98 ERA, 37 strikeouts to just nine walks. The control has been much better this season for Martin Perez. And then Austin Gomber, who had a great start against the Texas Rangers. Six shutout, six strikeouts, 18 swinging strikes, as you mentioned, Scott. He is 38% rostered. Martin Perez is 26% rostered. Who do you like more, Perez or Gomber, and why? I like Gomber more, in part because I don't really think there's anything new Martin Perez has to show us. And in part because I like the underlying numbers for, for Gomber more. Uh, the XFIP is about 40 points lower. The strikeout rate is higher. The walk rate... It is actually higher than Perez, but you know it's it's been it's been very different for Gomber since April. It's been a great control pitcher. There is, you know, one major knock on Gomber is obviously where he makes his home starts, and yeah, I, I think that keeps him from being must roster. But we're comparing him to Martin Perez, so. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I just, I think Martin Perez, if you put your faith in him, I understand 190 ERA and his 198 ERA in his past seven starts. But uh, not not the kind of peripherals you can get excited about, especially knowing the source. Austin Gomber, I know he pitches in Coors Field. Obviously, we don't like starting pitchers who call that location their home park. He had a 1.88 ERA in Coors Field entering... Thursday start. So I think it was only three starts, though. Yep. So it's it, it been a very road heavy schedule for Gomber. But, you know, obviously it's four starts now, and that ERA is even better. Yep. And you mentioned this earlier. He's at the Miami Marlins next week. So lots to like there with that matchup for Austin Gomber. Real quick, Scott, in much deeper leagues, Tucker Davidson, a prospect for the Atlanta Braves, he returns to the rotation on Thursday against the Washington Nationals. Five and two thirds shutout. He wasn't all that effective. I was watching the start very closely. I have him in your dynasty league. He has uh, he allowed one hit, five walks to five strikeouts. Control has been an issue for him in the minors. Anything to see here with Tucker Davidson? He's eight percent rostered. Yeah, I think potentially. I'm hopeful that yeah we haven't heard him that he's getting sent down yet. Right, he got sent down after his first start, which was a quality start. Yeah, I haven't seen anything about it yet. I'm. I guess they still yeah. could, but. And they and the Braves are one of the teams with six games next week, so they're going to need five starters. I think there's a way they could send down Davidson and maybe bring Bryce Wilson back up for the next turn through. But on the other hand, how much longer is Drew Smiley going to last in the rotation? So Davidson Davidson's been pretty close to untouchable at AAA this year. Only three starts, but still. And uh, you know his first two starts have been. 
his first two major league starts this year have been less than stellar, but I think they justify a longer look. So not mixed league material yet, but uh, Tucker Davidson is one for the scout team. Throw him on the scout team. Some Thursday leftovers. Garrett Hampson went four for five with two doubles, two runs, and an RBI. He's 73% rostered and should be rostered in any category leagues just because he provides as many steals as he does. Lance Lynn up against the Tigers. Six innings, one run, six strikeouts. The ERA is down to 1.38. Lance Lynn is... He's so interesting because his expected ERA on StatCast is 2.55. So he does a great job of limiting hard contact. His XFIP is 4.04 because he allows as many fly balls as he does. Just that a lot of those have not turned into home runs yet. I don't know that it's going to happen, but Lance Lynn, man, just continues to get it done. Casey Mize, we spoke about a little bit earlier. Seven innings, three runs, six strikeouts. He has a quality start in six of his last seven and Josh Donaldson went three for five with a double dong. He's only batting 250. And I, it was like two or three weeks ago, we talked about him as a buy low candidate. That hasn't really come to fruition yet, but I still think based on the underlying numbers, I would be trying to buy Josh Donaldson. A lot like Charlie Blackman, if you could. He's, he's not flashy, he's older, but I think better days are coming for him. The call to the pen for the Cincinnati Reds. Lucas Sims pitching the eighth and the ninth inning for his team leading fourth save of the season. He is 22% rostered. Scott, how would you rank Lucas Sims, JP Fireisen, and Hansel Robles if you are in need of saves? They are all rostered in less than 25% of CBS leagues. I would go Fireisen first because I think he's become the top option for saves in Tampa. It's just that Rays are going to raise, and sometimes, sometimes it's not going to go to him. But yeah, Fire Ryson would be number one. Lucas Sims. I, I think he's become the top option that isn't TJ Anton. So, you know, it, in this particular game, Anton was needed for two innings before Sims pitched his two innings. And then Hansel Robles third. I think the the twins are pretty much have pretty much moved away from Robles as a safe source. I know he got a save the other day, but it was in extra innings after Taylor Rogers worked the ninth, I think. So, yeah, it doesn't look like Robles is being handled much like a closer anymore. Speaking of Hansel Robles, he pitched in the seventh inning on Thursday uh, with the game tied at the time. He allowed an unearned run to score on an error, and he took the loss. For the Kansas City Royals, Scott Barlow pitched two innings for his second save. Kyle Zimmer pitched in the fifth and the sixth inning. Uh, Greg Holland pitched three days in a row from May 29th through May 31st. So maybe he was unavailable. I I I, I don't know, but it's, it's maybe it's the Barlow's Royals. been Barlow has been their most effective reliever this year, and yeah. including over Josh Stalmont. It does sound like Stalmont is gearing up to return. So I don't know that Barlow's really going to have a chance to snatch the job away. But Mike Matheny, we're talking about. So who knows. Let's wrap up with some to stream or not to stream. We'll start with Friday. John Gray versus the Oakland A's. Kwangyun Kim versus the Reds. Spencer Turnbull at the White Sox. Josh Fleming at the Rangers. Cody Poteet at the Pirates. And Mitch Keller versus the Marlins. So I would say Spencer Turnbull against the White Sox is the most attractive one to me here. Then probably, I don't love it, but John Gray against the A's, Kim against the Reds. Josh Fleming has pitched pretty well. Pitches to contact, but 
going up against the Texas Rangers. So, eh, whatever. To stream or not to stream for Saturday, Tarek Skubal at the White Sox, Alex Cobb versus the Mariners, Merrill Kelly at the Brewers, Chase DeYoung versus the Marlins, Spencer Howard versus the Nationals, and Mike Miner versus the Twins. Skubal at the White Sox, Kelly at Milwaukee, I guess. Milwaukee's so bad. And I think I like Mike Miner against the Twins, the third most of this group. Yeah, Mike Miner's yeah. been getting a ton of strikeouts recently, too, and that Twins lineup is a little beat up. Some uh, to stream or not to stream for Sunday. Garrett Richards at the Yankees. Logan Gilbert at the Angels. Johnny Cueto versus the Cubs. Dane Dunning versus the Tampa Bay Rays. Wade Miley at the Cardinals. And who? John Gant versus the Reds. So, five shutout innings with four walks and five strikeouts for Gant, right? <laughs> we had a player debate on yesterday's podcast, Scott, without you. It was John Gant versus Garrett Cole. Rest of season. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I don't... Uh, man, John Gant might be my favorite of this group, actually. It's not It's not good. It's not a good list for Sunday. It's not. Sunday's, Sunday's not a good day to stream. I don't even want to pick any others. It's not good. Okay. So I will choose with the caveat that, look, we don't like these. Uh, but if you're really desperate, I would go with Logan Gilbert at the Angels. And let's go with Wade Miley coming off a good start at the St. Louis Cardinals. And before we we do have some fantasy justice questions, we're going to quickly hit some of our Apple Podcast reviews. We appreciate everyone who has left a five-star Apple Podcast rating. Drop a question in the review. We're actually almost at 2,500 of those. So if you enjoy the podcast and you haven't left a five-star review yet, please feel free to do so. Do it. This, do it. This question's from Matt H156. Can I please drop Joey Gallo? Would you rather have someone like Robbie Grossman? 10 teams, six by six categories with walks and holds. Yeah, Joey Gallo. Joey Gallo is pretty frustrating because you know, you know, go off for 11 home runs in like a three-week span. Especially with the weather heating up. I know he's yeah. been bad. I mean, Grossman's been pretty useful. Especially in a I, league I just, with I, walks. He, he's, he's got a high OBP, Robbie Grossman does. That's only a 10-team league. How? Yeah, stick with Gallo. You, you need the higher impact player in a 10-team league for sure. Yeah, I would agree with that. This one's from Seb, 1133. 12-team dynasty with contracts and salaries assigned. Head-to-head categories with OBP as an added category. Should I trade my $2 Jesse Winker, who was a free agent after this year, $2 Marcana, and $5 Trent Grisham for $34 Mookie bets, 25% increase in salary each year? Which means Mookie Betts is going to be something like $43 next year? $42, $43? I'm kind of surprised I'm saying this, but I I think I, I think no. I think that's too much to give up, especially considering the keeper ramifications, because I'm not feeling confident Betts will be worth keeping him. Probably one more year, but two more years? Uh, no, probably not. Probably going to get too pricey. And I mean, those are three like must-start outfielders you're giving up. They're obviously not Mookie Betts, but yeah, I don't, I don't think I could do it. 
Don't do it. This one's from TMS299. Grade the trade. Give Kyle Hendricks and Trevor Rogers for Aaron Nola in a 10-team head-to-head points league with four keepers. Yes. Grade it. Hang on. I had the wrong Rogers in mind. <laughs> I had the wrong T Rogers. I was thinking one of the closers. Uh, Trevor Rogers is the good, the, the best one, the starting pitcher. Uh, I still think yes because it's a 10 team league, but C plus. C plus. A, barely a win there for you, but good job. From Jacob Worley. I'm in a head-to-head points league with four IL spots. Was wondering if I should drop Eloy Jimenez. My biggest fear is him coming back towards the end of the season and going on a tear for someone else's team after I held him this long. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think you need to hold on to Jimenez. I don't. I, I don't suspect somebody's going to pick him up. Probably most everyone who's paying attention has those four IL spots filled already. Just the way injuries have gone this year, and. Um, yeah, I, I think I'd be comfortable dropping him if I felt a roster crunch. No telling. No telling if he makes it back before September or at all. From Matt Locke, 89. Grade the trade. 15 team head to head redraft points league. I send Paul Goldschmidt, Jake Cronenworth, and Walker Bueller for Jacob deGrom and Jared Kelnick. Oh, yeah. That's a good trade. I will grade it. A, not A. I'll <laughs> grade it a, a B plus. This next one's from Dwayne Clark. I just turned down a trade, giving up John Means to get Anthony Rendon. I have Chris Bryant as my third baseman, and Trent Grisham, Kyle Tucker, and Nick Castellanos in my outfield. I apologize. Some of these questions might be a little bit older. They've been, uh, they take some time to populate in the Apple Podcast reviews. So this might have been when Trent Grisham was still healthy. But I don't see a place for Anthony Rendon. But the Facebook group, the FBT Facebook group, scolded me for declining the offer. Thoughts? Well, come on, guys. Be nice. Be nice on the Fantasy Baseball Today Facebook group. We're all friends here. What do you think, Scout? Would you, if you had that team, would you feel okay? turning down Anthony Rendon for John Means? Um, he doesn't say what format it is. Nope. Uh, I, I think I'd be okay turning it down. Um, you know, probably, probably a situation where seven, eight times out of ten, I'd take Anthony Rendon, but it, it, I think there's a good chance you need the pitcher more here, and of course I like John Means a lot. So yeah, take that, Facebook group. Be nice to Dwayne. From Sad About Tim, grade the trade in head-to-head categories with OBP, slugging, and quality starts as the added categories. I trade Tim Anderson, Austin Meadows, and Sixto Sanchez for Max Scherzer and DJ LeMahieu. Really need pitching. Sad to let Tim go, but I have Xander Bogarts. I think it's fine. I think it's good. I think think Max Scherzer is the most valuable player here. And, and I love Tim Anderson, but he he takes quite a hit in the OBP league. True, true. Yeah, I mean, I feel better about it if I knew what was going on with Lemayhew, of course. But I think I think you know, even if even if Lemayhew remains pretty useless, and I don't think he will, he's got to get better. I, I think the fact you're getting the best player in the deal still makes it justifiable. Grade the trade. Oh, I didn't know I had to grade it. I will give it a B. A B. 
I agree. Let's go with B. All right, we're not going to get to your fantasy justice questions. I apologize. But as I mentioned, Monday night, we have a three-game schedule, so we'll have a bunch of talk about then. We will hit your fantasy justice questions at that point. If you have anything going on in your league with a fishy commissioner, maybe some of your league mates are vetoing your trade, something wacky that's going down, email us in. Put fantasy justice in the subject line. We will hit those on Monday night's podcast. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again on Monday. Bye-bye. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.